abiding times two. Now, now look at verse four. Verse 15, 4 introduces it. There, folks, there's nothing like thinking about the horticulture or uh, farming or, or gardening where there's a vine and a branch that we are connected. Uh, it's profound uh, if you abide. In, so he says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. So you see, you abide in me and then I abide in you. But he says it, Exactly, a little bit more thorough in verse 7. If you abide in me, okay? If you abide in Christ and, here's the other part, times two, and my words abide in you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. So, John chapter 15 is about the intimacy of remaining in contact. One of the things years ago I read, some theologian put it in these words, and it's a great way to think about it. All living things, and we are alive in Christ, right? All living things must remain in contact with their power source. So you're alive and you're alive in Christ. And in order to keep that life like God wants it, you must remain in contact with the power source. And that's the synopsis of what Jesus meant when He said, if I abide in you and you abide in my words, right, that you, you are really abiding. But it takes both. It takes, you know, my lordship and the authority of my word for you to produce the fruits. And you know, we'll look at this, might not get to it today, but he mentions three different levels of discipleship. You know, we, some of us bear fruit, some of us bear more fruit, and some of us bear much more fruit. But all of us should be bearing fruit because we... He's the vine, we are, we are the branches. Um, just while we're there, since I have uh, chapter 15, verse 1, then this I'll move on because I could spend too much time here. When he says, uh, I am, I am the true vine. I am. You know, Jesus makes, really there's eight statements about being the great I am. But there's seven specific word pictures. If you'll remember when Moses wanted to know who was speaking to him. And God answered, I am who I am, right? That's how God answered Moses. Well, Jesus uses that phrase, I am. So he does that several times. John records eight times, seven specific word pictures where Jesus says, like for instance, I am the bread, I am. Ego e me is the Greek. Ego e me, I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there's seven times Jesus makes these statements about being deity. Here in John 15, He says, I am the true vine, or I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. He's, he's God. If He's the vine and His Father's the vine dresser, He's, he's deity. So we're going to come back to that. Probably not going to get to it until next Sunday. But I want you to go back to John chapter 12 real quick. We're going to just do a little summary here. If you look at chapter 12, uh, you, you see uh, this is after. Robbie read the narrative of the resurrection. And don't you love to hear God's Word read? Amen? It is profound. God's Word is powerful. And Robbie does a great job of reading. That's why I like for him to read it rather than me. Um, 
But in John 11 is the great resurrection passage. Chapter 12, it says, verse 1, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came back to Bethany. Now, now obviously, we, we know it might have been two weeks, few days since the resurrection. And it had, could, wasn't months, but it was a few weeks, few days between Him re- resurrecting Lazarus from the tomb and it being six days before Passover. And when you read six days before Passover, we're talking about... See, John's Gospel's different. From chapter 12 to chapter 19, all deal with the last week of Jesus' life. Really, chapter 13 through 18 almost deal with the last day and a half. It's profound how much is about the last couple of days of Jesus' life. So when you get to chapter 12, you know in the narrative, chapter 12 through 21 are dealing with the, the, the last week of His earthly life, and then chapter 20 and 21 deal with His resurrection appearances. It's incredible how much John deals with that last week. And one reason he does it, he, he's there. He, he's there. He, he walks through this, and he sees all these things. And he, By the way, another interesting thing is when John wrote this, if I'm not mistaken, he's the last, he's still the only apostle alive. It's interesting. Um, I, I don't know. Sometimes God, God does this even to this day. He, when we get older in life, God gives us a vision or a passion to do something that He's never led us to do before. Um, well, John was an older man before he ever wrote the gospel, and and really when he wrote. John's Gospel in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, I, I believe every other apostle had already been executed. And then he writes those three books, four books, and then he writes the Revelation. Uh, all in the eight, late 80s and early 90s. He was an old man. He was in his 80s and 90s, when he, especially when he wrote the book of Revelation. So he's kind of been the last man standing. So he's writing, so for him, and this is another reason why the synoptics are different, and they all follow the same pattern, synonyms. But John wrote after that, so his focus was different in God's providence. And so a large portion is on the last week of Christ's life. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And of course, they gave a dinner. And then you know that you know Mary takes a pound of expensive, verse 3, expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped His feet with her hair. Now, now look, look how intimate this is. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. How did John know that? He was there. He was in the house. Then he mentions Judas a little while. He says, but Judas is a carrot. One of his disciples, then he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold? And he tells us the worth of the ointment. Three hundred denarii. Now, this is, you know, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, brothers and sisters. And and this ointment, pure nard, was was worth uh, probably imported somewhere from Africa, 300 denarii. Okay, just to let you know, that's 300 days wage. A denarii was the 
pay for a soldier for a day's wage. Okay, so it was an average pay. So 300 days wage a year. Okay, and it was given. And so he says, why was it? I want you to see John's insight. Okay, he's telling us things that the other apostles didn't write about. So he says, so he says, why was this ointment? Judas does this sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor. And John tells us something about, about Judas. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a kleptomaniac. That's the word klepto. Because he was a thief. And that word klepto means he was always planning. Literally, it could read, he was always planning to lift something away. It's kind of the picture there. So he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus said, leave her alone. Are you looking at your Bibles? Folks, we may not get as far as I want to this morning, but I want you to meditate this morning on, on what God's words say, okay? I want you to spend them. But also what he says, Jesus said to Judas, and by the way, i got to be fair, Matthew, Mark, and Luke do mention, uh, it's plural, that more than just Judas said something about how expensive it was. If you read the synoptics, a couple of them mentioned that the disciples said something. But only Judas did it because he wanted the money in the bag. Why wasn't it sold and given to us? And you know what he's thinking. So I can pilfer the bag, right? And so obviously John's writing later in history and so after the death, burial, and resurrection, they did probably and after Judas ran off, they did an accounting and they knew all this after the... But anyway, we, we move on. But he says, he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. That keep it is an interesting play on words. Okay? She just poured it out. But she's keeping it for the day of his burial. Jesus is saying, it's a picture of my anointing when I die. Well, he was six days away from that, right? But there's another play. I believe, and that's just me, and you can grammatically check it. I, I, I can say this and defend it grammatically, but also somebody else could say, no, grammatically it says this. I, I think Jesus is indicating present tense that, it's still, that that gift is still present. Now, I'm not talking about the oil. You know, the oil is not still present. But the sacrifice from her heart, it's still, it's been kept. You know how I know that? We're still talking about it. It's been kept, am I right? And, and that sacrifice is still bearing fruit, right? Because we're still talking about it. It's still bearing a testimony to, to the worth of Christ. Take, take your own mind and heart back. You know, are there markers in our own lives where we've made substantial Act not just financial, could be financial, but just acts of sacrifice that that display the wealth of Christ, the value we place on Christ. It's an interesting thing here that that Mary 
And why, why, why did she, why did she do this? Because, now think about why. You can answer. Listen, why was Mary so grateful? Because who was sitting at the table with her? Who? Lazarus, her brother, right? Now just, again, you're going, it's the preacher. I'm the preacher, but don't you think with me. It's she's overwhelmed and does it because her brother who was dead is now alive. And she's, they're having a banquet to celebrate what Christ... And, she, and so Lazarus is at the table with them. But he was dead for four days. There's a whole reason why it's four days. But he was alive though he was dead. Now here's my point. What will lead us to do things like this? When we're grateful for Christ making alive the dead. Like me, like you. See, He is the resurrection and the life. Though you die, if you know Christ, He has resurrected you from spiritual death. And, and though this body die, you don't die. He says, though you die, yet you will live. Because I'm the resurrection and the life. So all that happened to Christ is going to happen to you. Well, she was sacrificial because her brother had... Listen to me. Her brother had almost literally been born again or given new life. Well, what leads us to sacrificial giving? Our salvation. That, why do we do what we do? Whether it's teaching classes, being here every time the church doors open, the greatest motivation is because you've been having given new life in Christ. Well, Mary is a great, a great example of that. Uh, this new life. Hey, look, look what it says in verse 9. It says, When the large crowd heard that Jesus was there, Okay, and of course, you know, you resurrect somebody from the dead. This was obviously the most significant miracle. I mean, he had fed a multitude, and those people followed him for a while. But I mean, the crowd, and plus, people are traveling to Jerusalem. You know, it's full because it's Passover. It's, it's a required feast, and so there are people everywhere. And plus, Bethany, if you go to Israel with me, Bethany's only over the hill. <laughs> It's just over the hill. It's two miles away from Jerusalem. So people, thousands upon thousands upon thousands have... Tra- so there's people everywhere. So the word's gotten out. Some people experienced it. Some people... Some, the word spread that Lazarus had been brought back from the dead. Now look what happens. When the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, that means was in Bethany, they came not only on account of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus whom He had raised from the dead. They wanted to see a a man who used to be dead that was alive. Can I ask you a question? Is that not still true today? That people can see people who were dead but now live? I'm one of them. I was dead. But now I'm alive. Now, my birth, my new birth, was many, 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 many years ago. But... My transformation in a spiritual manner was just as dramatic as if I'd been brought back from the dead. Because I, I did. Because I was dead in sin. Right? You were too. You're de- dead in sin. Made alive together with Christ is what the Bible says. So, so I love that. that they, and, and really, if you stay, they wanted to kill him. And it says the chief priest and all them, they, weren't, 
They wanted to put Jesus to death, but they also wanted to put Lazarus to death because he was proof of the power of Christ, right? See, they had already, if you remember what Robbie read, just thinking, just thinking biblically, what, what the world thought. Even the religion, they may not have been true disciples, but they generally knew that the Messiah, if he had been there, because she says it, Martha says, if you had been here, he would not have died. And even the crowd mumbled. If he had loved him, he had come early and would have made him from being sick to being well. Because they knew he could do that. They, they knew he was a, a rabbi, a, a prophet, whatever you wanted to call. They didn't trust him as Messiah. But, so they knew that if Christ had been there, he had the power to make him well. Because they, they knew that. They'd seen testimonies of that all over Israel. I mean, some of the extra-biblical books say disease was removed from Judah when Jesus walked there. You know, so every, health was much better because Jesus healed everybody. That's kind of the, the picture. So they knew He could heal him if He had come. But what they didn't believe, see, they believed He was a, maybe a prophet or a good man, maybe it had God's power. And some of them would say that. But what they did not believe, and still don't believe to this day, is that He's the Messiah and He can resurrect the dead. And there may be somebody like that in here. Oh, you're impressed with Jesus. You know He's a fine man, great man, great teacher. But you don't believe you need to be saved by His power. And, and let me tell you, you, you would be wrong. So we move on, verse 12. I hate to say this. Uh, Robbie, what time is it? I didn't bring a watch. I, my, I didn't bring the clock down here. Who? Okay, all right. 11, I got it, 11.16. Somebody got one less, a little bit earlier than that? Okay. Look at verse 12. Thank you. The next day, okay, the next day, John is very specific about the order of events. You can study it for yourself. We'll see it when we watch the movie next week. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, to the Passover, heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him, crying out. Now this is known as the triumphal entry. Obviously your Bible probably says the heading there. John's short, short but it says, they, So they, they, laid, they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet Him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord! even the king of Israel. And, and says, And Jesus found a young donkey, that's a whole different story, and sat on it just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That means this donkey had never been ridden. And, and that's a miracle in itself. He, they go and get it, a, a donkey's colt, never ridden on, a virgin colt. Jesus gets on it, rides it in. But what I want you to know is, this just we don't have time to to work through this, but one of the great prophecies of the Old Testament is called the seventy weeks of Daniel, where Daniel gets this prophecy. It's in Daniel nine, twenty four through twenty seven. God and by the way, God, Jesus quotes Daniel. Okay, so of all the Old Testament prophets, Jesus quoted Daniel more than all of them. Okay, prophets. So Jesus quoted what this event, but, but Daniel in Daniel 9 mentions the Messiah. It's, he says, from 
I'm going to paraphrase this. There's 70 weeks, it's 490 years of Jewish history that the, the revelation from this angel is the angels telling Daniel about 490 years of Jewish history. But it's broken in 483 years and then a final seven years. Now where is that last seven years going to show up if it's about Israel? Tribulation. Thank you. So there's 483 years and then there's seven years. Well, we know where the seven years are going. Now we know now. They didn't know when you said it. But the Bible says from the giving forth of a decree to return to Jerusalem, to Messiah until Messiah is cut off is going to be 69 weeks. Make a long story short. The day you can look at it, you can look at your own Bible commentaries, MacArthur study Bible have it. From the, the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem on the triumphal entry was the day for the 69 weeks. So it was, it was 483 years to the day that there was a decree and Jesus entered Jerusalem. It's an incredible thing that God through the angel gave Daniel in Daniel 9. Let's, let's go to uh, verse 27. I'm still in chapter 12. We've got just a few minutes. Um, well, we can't look at verse 20. So I want you to grasp, grasp what's going on. Jesus did the resurrection of Lazarus. And so all this stuff's going on about Christ and about the, the pouring out of the oil and confirming the, the deity of Christ, the triumphal entry. Here we go. Verse 20 says, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. This just means that there were non-Jews that were, were proselytes to Judaism. That happened quite often. And, and so they, they were worshipers maybe of Jehovah. But So they came to Israel at feast, at the Passover. So they came to Philip, but besides being there, who did they want to see? They wanted to see Jesus. Folks, this is profound because the gospel, the whole reason Messiah came, He came primarily, it says He came to the Jew first, right? That's what the Bible says, and also to the Greek. Well, here, right before Jesus is taken to the cross, the Greeks want to talk to Him. And look what the narrative says. It says, Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip then went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them. What did He say? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. What He's talking about is His substitutionary death is going to enable people to be saved all over the world, right? You know, when we get to John 15 and he says, I am the vine, if, if you were a Jew, it would have offended you. Not only was he claiming to be God, I am, but number two, in Isaiah chapter 5, guess who the vine was supposed to be? Israel. Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5 says, God planted a vineyard and he gave them a name Israel. But they failed. He said they produced wild grapes. So when Jesus says, I'm the truth, He's now the Savior. The Jews, that Israel would not proclaim the God that saved them. They wouldn't proclaim His salvation to the nations. They lived like the nations. So Christ is now the vine. So, so here, when the Greeks show up and want to just talk to Jesus, it's just a, a, a fulfillment of Scripture and so he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. While you have your Bible, slip over to chapter 13. 
So he says, now is, we're going to run out of time. So I want to show you, he says, the hour, I'm in, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's chapter 12. Look at chapter 13, verse 31. He says, folks, this is extremely important. When he had gone out, who is he? Judas. If you go back up in verse 29, some thought that because Judas was the money changer, that because he, you know, he identified who the betrayer was. And uh, so... It says at the end, verse 30, So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. I, and I love it. We know that it's nighttime. Okay? So now, uh, we're going to fix to see they're going to leave the upper room in a minute. And they're going to be traveling at the nighttime. So from you're at the last few hours. I mean, you're at the last day of Christ's life. This is the part of the Olivet Discourse, but Jesus, Jesus teaching. We'll get there tomorrow, I mean next Sunday. But he says, uh, he went out, and I love that, and it was night. Spiritually, it was dark, wasn't it? So the, the betrayer has been identified and has left uh, the apostles. Verse 31 says, and when he had gone out, and when he had gone out, he doesn't say it's the hour. Look what, because he knows what, what's Judas going to do? Betray him. And so before the next 8, 10, 12 hours, they're going to be trying to arrest him early in the morning. Well, really, after midnight, sometime, 4 o'clock in the morning. So Jesus says, Now, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. By the way, 16 times in this day, the glory of God is mentioned or the glory of Christ is mentioned. From here on out, 16 times the Bible mentions the glory of Christ. Folks, Christ was glorified on the cross. I mean, God was glorified. Christ was glorified by His substitutionary death on, on the cross. Just a profound thing to, to think about. Uh, so, let me just finish with this. Just thinking about who you are. Let, so let me pick up with verse 31. He says, When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him at once. And then he says, and, and Jesus didn't say this, but one time recorded in the gospel, gospel of John. Little children. Do you see that? Little children. He, he's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the others that heard His voice. He's talking to you. Talking little children. Now I'm going to tell you something about little children. Little children bear the image of their father. Like a son would. Little children. That's the word Jesus uses. It's the only time in John's Gospel. It's the Greek word technia. It means 
preschooler, child, young, youth, children. All of us are just little children. But we're true children only if we bear the image of the Son that's been revealed on this earth. Little children. So, the profound part of this is, is what Jesus then does, and we'll stop here. You get to chapter 13, and before He's going to be crucified, what does He do? And Before they leave the upper room, what's the last act that Jesus performs to the apostles? He washes their feet. So if you're a child of God, you me tell you what you're going to be? A servant. If you love being saved and you love the Lord Jesus, you love what He's done, I'll tell you, you'll, you'll, you'll display your joy of salvation by being a servant. Now let me, let me tell you what's sad. is we have to beg people to serve Christ's church. This church. We have to beg people. That ought not to be. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love You and thank You for Your grace and mercy. Father, we do pray for our church family that are traveling and are away. We do pray for Your traveling graces. Lord, thank You for the work of the church. Thank You for our salvation. May we glorify You in all that we say and do in the days to come. In Jesus' name, Amen. Y'all have a great holiday weekend. God bless you. If you need anything, call Sam Spivey. I'll give you his number. I'll give you his number.